Welcome to Confessional. I'm Kayla Shelton, along with Mike Moran. Tell us your deepest, your creepiest, your darkest. Confess to us. We won't tell. So you can tell us anything. No one's listening. On today's confessional, historical mysteries. All right, everybody, welcome to the confessional. This is Mike Moran. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Co-hosting, we have the very beloved Mike G. How are you, Mike G? I'm doing well. Yeah? I'm doing good. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) Mike. What are we discussing today? Historical mysteries. Yes, his history's mysteries, if you will. History's mysteries. And historical Mike, historicals. Yes, that is right. We have a very special guest today, Mike. Uh, he is one of my favorite podcasters. Coincidentally, from one of my favorite podcasts, uh, the very educational, entertaining. Our fake history, we have Sebastian Major. Hey, everyone, what's up? Hey, buddy, thank you so much for stopping by. That's right, my pleasure. As though you're in the same room as us. We can, <laughs> we'll be able to trick the listeners. <laughs> Sebastian, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about yourself and our fake history and anything else you're working on right now? Sure. Um, yeah, so I do a podcast called Our Fake History. I, I make it uh, like a lot of podcasters uh, in my bedroom uh, here in uh, Toronto, Canada. I started it in the summer of 2015, and uh, it's really, thankfully, gained an audience since then. And uh, people are now listening to it all around the world. And obviously, a bunch of people named Mike in Baltimore tuned in. So, yeah. so here <laughs> I am. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I'm also a high school teacher when I'm not making the podcast, uh, and that's kind of what led me towards uh, uh, trying to create a show that was about dispelling historical myths mm-hmm. uh, with sort of my experience teaching kids and uh, sort of coming to learn the, the huge amount of misconceptions that are out there about uh, the history of the world sure. and also just the fun of telling stories about the past. Right, right. Uh, awesome. Well, I love the podcast. Thank you so much for doing it. It's uh, probably probably one of my probably in, in my top five podcasts of all time. The Mike Moran Golden Podcast Collection, the essential Mike Moran, the very yeah, that's, prestigious. Uh, that's super nice of you to say, man. That's uh, that's <laughs> awesome. Thank you. And you've covered three of my favorite subjects: Billy the Kid, the Pied Piper of Hamlin, and Robin Hood. Yeah, right on. Cool. So I appreciate that. Um. All right, so today we are discussing historical mysteries. Why don't we jump in with a confession from Jack Brandau, Ponte Vera Beach, Florida. He says, the Roswell UFO crash in 1947. Aliens definitely crashed there without a doubt. Read the book the day after Roswell and you will be a complete believer. Fiber optic technology came from the alien crash of 1947, amongst other things, exclamation point. The government completely covered it up, exclamation point. Yeah, man, a classic, a classic, the old Roswell crash. Right. 
You know, I, 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 I once did a little writing series called The Surprisingly Bland Origins of UFO Lore. And okay. I concluded that pretty much everything we know about Roswell came from the late 80s. It, it yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah, that's right. It was really a from from the research I did. It was it was a you know just a blurb in the newspaper for a couple days. Um, they they quickly you know explained that it was a uh, some sort of um, you know military testing, uh, which you know you could say was a government cover up or whatever. And it was pretty much forgotten about by all but the most dedicated ufologists. And then unsolved mysteries did a thing on it, and that's when it that's when it made its big comeback. Best show. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, the stuff of uh, preaching nightmares, man. Unsolved mysteries. Oh, yeah. Loved it. Yeah, but yeah, that's interesting that you should say that because, uh, you know, in my experience, debunking historical myths, that's often the case that mm. these stories actually come out decades, sometimes even centuries right. after the event. Right. Uh, and, and usually you can kind of smell a historical myth when the first time people start talking about it is way after the fact. So it's interesting right. that's also the case with Roswell. Yeah, like you always say, the the longer the, the length between when the historical event happened and when the stories come up, the less likely it is to have happened. Exactly. Right. Yeah, you know, the funny thing I did learn about Roswell, though, is that there actually kind of was a cover-up, which probably led to a lot of the rumors, in that they didn't want to, uh, I think they kind of lied about what kind of technology they were testing, because, you know, communists. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I read some stuff, too, that uh, what was actually going on was something called Project Mogul, oh. uh, which is a... Uh, which was a which was declassified in the early 90s so it was something that was classified back in the 1950s but apparently it was uh, according according to what I found uh, it was a uh, American project to use like super sensitive microphones that could pick up the sound of nuclear blasts anywhere wow. in the world and so they were specifically listening to see if the Soviets were testing nuclear weapons really? and one of these devices apparently crashed and that was the thing that they were covering up was like well we had these special sort of nuke microphones that we were using to try and listen in on the Soviets and, uh, wow. and so obviously they you know they, they couldn't have some random farmer in uh, New Mexico getting, getting their hands on that mm. Yeah, and obviously there's the you know it could happen like you think there's a nuclear blast, but it turns off it's just Mikhail Gorbachev having diarrhea. Yeah, there is always that. That's very true. <laughs> sure, there's always the chance it was a super loud diarrhea. Yeah, yeah. I mean that 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 burst blood vessel on his forehead came from somewhere. <laughs> Another historical myth debunked: not actually a gremlin in Russia. Apparently, it's the Kremlin. All right. Uh, why don't we read... Speaking of Russia, why don't we read this one uh, while we're on the subject here? This is from Stephen Baxley, Chestnut, Chestnut Hill, Maryland. Uh, the Devil's Pass in Russia. In Russian, it's Deslov Pass. The Deslov. How do you pronounce that? Uh, I, I've always heard of the Dalasov Pass. You know, I've read that a billion times. I, I guess I've never heard anyone say it out loud because I'm totally at a loss right now. Uh, there you go. In Russian, it is the 
the outlawed pass in the 1950s, a group of hikers climbed the pass and disappeared. When their camp was discovered, the tent was found to be cut open from the inside like something escaped from within. The hikers were found away from the camp, uh, some seemingly frozen to death, either nude or in their underwear, others with their heads smashed, but with no evidence of any weapons found nearby, not even a bloody rock. I don't know if they're saying like a bloody rock or like not even a bloody rock. You know, like the British. (laughs) To this day, the Russian government has it filed under accident, quote unquote. Right. What are your thoughts on that, Sebastian? This one's another sort of uh, favorite of people that are into sort of odd happenings and sort of even paranormal stuff. Because the the explanations for this range from. Uh, it was clearly aliens who were using some sort of weird technology to kill these people. Uh, some people think it was an attack from the Yeti. Uh, um, right. Uh, and there it was sort of a, a, these unwitting hikers stumbled upon some super secret military installation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they were dispatched by, you know, uh, some sort of Soviet commandos who right. then made right. the death scene look particularly weird. Yeah. Uh, there's, but there really aren't any good explanations for yeah, this. Yeah. This is like the reason it's conceptual one people go back to is because it's so odd, it's right. so mysterious, and there's no one has really offered a good explanation at all for it. Could it have been El Nino? <laughs> El Nino. <laughs> Just a warm breeze came up from somewhere? Or? Yeah. Or the Christ Child. The Christ Child, yeah. Or Chupacabra, again, Gorbachev's uh, flagellants. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's as good a guess as anything, right? Like, I mean, it, it's, it's what's crazier, you know, that's Fart or the Yeti. Right. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah. What, you, what are your thoughts on the Yeti? Do you think there could be a Yeti out there? Uh, <laughs> do I think a Yeti could be out there? I don't know. I don't know. You know, actually, one of my favorite things I ever heard about it was, uh, you, you know, um, uh, David Attenborough, right, the British uh, guy that narrates all those oh, yeah. uh, nature documentaries. Love that guy. Yeah. So I heard a thing he did on British radio, on the BBC, where he talks about this, like, tooth that was found in somewhere in China in, like, an old, like, Chinese, like, pharmacy or, or curio shop that was found in, like, the early 1920s or something like that. And it's this weird tooth that they can't place to any animal. And David Attenborough himself thinks that maybe it was a tooth from some long-forgotten Himalayan ape-man. And uh, so if David Attenborough is on board, then, you know, who am I to question his expertise? Sure, yeah. Um, but I've never. I, but beyond beyond that, uh, I think the uh, the other evidence out there for uh, giant giant apes, cryptids wandering the, uh-huh. uh, the wilderness right. is uh, is uh, dubious at best. Right. You know the funny thing about th- that too is like, even if best case scenario there really is one. It's not that big of a deal, you know. Like there's, there's already monkeys and apes, you know. Like, just be a different yeah, kind I mean, of. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> It'd just be like a different species, you know. Like, what, what would the big deal be? Yeah, I know. And, and actually, people thought that uh, orangutans were a myth for a really? long time. Like when when Europeans first got to uh, uh, Papua New Guinea and that part of the world where orangutans are from, 
they would hear legends from like the local right. people about this red ape man who lives in deep in the jungle and they were like oh this is clearly just some some weird mythology and until you know people start getting out there and you know they should have actually trusted the indigenous people sure. of, uh, of the area but they got they, when they finally encountered orangutans they were like whoa I guess this was a real thing after all. Huh. Why, why would they be so skeptical of an orangutan? I mean, they, they knew about monkeys and stuff, right? Like, Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's because the mythology of, like, the indigenous people they came across kind of ascribed, uh, you know, supernatural powers oh, to orangutans as well. Right. And it's like they are the protectors of the forest and you don't want to go into their territory. Oh, I see. You know, yada, yada. Right. Are orangutans, like, especially violent or scary? Are they, you want to avoid an orangutan? Uh, I mean, they're not, they'll fuck you up for sure. Really? They're actually one of the only animals that has sex missionary style. Maybe that was mythologized. Interesting. That's it true. Does, they have sex wow. missionary style. Huh. Orangutan. The way Jesus when likes we, it. When we have sex, we have sex orangutan style. <laughs> they were doing it first. But speaking of what you guys are talking about with the giant apes, uh, there was actually something called the Gigantopithecus, mm. which existed in India, Vietnam, China, Indonesia, uh, ab- from 9 million to as recently as 100,000 years ago, uh-huh. um, which I believe is responsible for a lot of the mythology surrounding like Bigfoot and the Yeti and things right, like right. that. It's, it was huge. They Literally, they stood like about 9.8 feet tall. It says wow. almost 10 feet tall and weighed like... 1,200 to 1,300 pounds. Good Lord. Hold on. I I am dumb, but what is the difference between a Bigfoot and a Yeti? I think the Yeti is just a snow Bigfoot. Oh, he's in the snow. Yeah, I think think it's just geographic location, right? Okay. Because the Sasquatch Sasquatch is sort of known to be to roam the the Pacific Northwest. The Sasquatch Uh, is more Return of the Jedi. The Yeti is more Empire Strikes Back. Oh, all right. That's correct. The woods and the snow. Analogy. Right, yeah. Is there a desert yeti? Is there a New Hope yeti? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but you know what? I know that Florida has their own uh, yeti that they call the skunk ape. Oh yeah, the most Florida thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I was <laughs> just gonna say that sounds pretty Florida. Wait, right. I just I just thought of something. Have you um, done any research on the the Jersey Devil? Ah, the New Jersey Devil. And no, and you know, because normally I don't really do uh, like uh, cryptids or uh, uh, or like a lot of paranormal stuff. I'm even just my own research, gotcha. uh, or just my own interest. But I don't really usually do it on the show, so I'm not necessarily. Even though I had a lot to say about Bigfoot just now, uh, <laughs> I'm, it's not really my area of expertise. So I don't really know much about the Jersey Devil. Gotcha. Me neither. Well, Mike G. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, our friend Brian Dunning, who I've interviewed before from the Skeptoid podcast you familiar with skeptoid sebastian yeah i am actually he he did an episode on that and i think he's actually kind of like cracked some some mysteries himself just on his podcast and he discovered that it originated probably with a political attack ad in which one politician in new jersey was referring to another politician as the new jersey devil and somehow yeah 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 that was his conclusion and it's one of those things where it's people are now kind of accepting it Wow, that's that's amazing. That's like, uh, you know, there's there's a uh, there's a there's a weird sort of Tibetan belief 
that if you imagine something and believe it's real, that it actually will kind of manifest in the world. And uh, mm. that kind of seems like that. Not to get too out there on you guys, but hey, this is what we're talking about. Uh, but like, there's just this idea that if people kind of believe in something long enough, it, they will kind of start imagining it or really sure. believing that they see it. Right, right. That's a Buddhist. That's a Buddhist thing. Yeah, very specific to like Tibetan Buddhists. Uh, they, they, it's called a tapa. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Like a tapa, and uh, it's this. There's these stories of like these sort of uh, um, monks who, you know, after you know, years of, of intense meditation and, and practice were able to actually manifest like flesh and blood things with their mind just because they focused on them so intently. Uh, and so, <laughs> sort of, I mean, again, not to be like confused with tapas. Thing that's out there. Sort of like weird science. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know totally. what I think would be fun if they did topless tapas. <laughs> That's weird science. Oh, right, yeah, right. Yeah. That's uh, it's funny. It's funny you said that. I was just listening to this guy Duncan Trussell. I don't know if you know him, Sebastian, but he was talking about there's these certain Buddhist um, like chants that he practices, and like they say, like when you chant them, you're supposed to like ask for like specific material things that you want, and like they will become true. Now I guess that's not quite the same thing as you're saying like manifest like things that didn't exist but it's sort of mm-hmm. similar it's like you just man like i want a hundred thousand dollars in the bank and like you will get that you guys you, i think you guys are thinking thing. of santa claus yeah that sounds like it's funny because that when you say that when you, it sounds like praying to me <laughs> right, and then right, but yeah. like for whatever reason when you say like oh it's buddhist you're like oh that's legit. Oh, okay well, oh, so oh, <laughs> as long as it's not christian white bullshit right, right. It makes sense. As long as there's not white people involved, <laughs> then it's true. That's funny. All uh, right, yeah, Sebastian. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you tell us what your favorite historical mystery is? Okay, so I, I, I've looked at so many uh, that it's, it's sometimes hard to pick a sure. favorite. But I'll give, you, I'll give you two of my favorites. So okay. that come to mind because uh, they still kind of boggle me. One is just the entire life story of Joan of Arc. Yeah. Uh, back in my back in my first season, I did this big. Right. Well, it was my second season. I did a I did a did a big three part series on Joan of Arc, and like Joan of Arc's life story sounds like it should right, be right. a historical myth. Yeah, it's insane. Right. Like no teenage girl should be able to convince medieval people to let her <laughs> run an army. But it happened. But like right. all the sources tell us that it happened, yeah. and and all of these people say that they saw her perform miracles, and like it's it boggles the mind. And so I kind of went into that thinking like, oh, I'm going to learn that that sure. uh, Joan of Arc was you know more of a figurehead and didn't actually do all the things that she did and blah blah blah. But I didn't learn that. Wow. All I learned is that there's all these people who time and time again attested to the reality of her crazy story. Yeah. So that yeah. one still uh, just boggles my mind. Yeah. Why is have they not made a Joan of Arc movie? Or at least not recently? Oh, uh, they, they have. There's been a bunch, actually. There yeah. was one with uh, Hillary Swank oh, like, really? back early 2000s. Oh, okay. They need to make a really definitive one because that is an amazing story. And then they just right. kill her. She just dies at the end. That's a yes. yes. Green um, Mile style. And then, and, and then if I was to give you my second one, completely different, um, to, a 
aside from being, you know, obsessed with weird history, I'm also a massive music fan. Uh, you know, I'm a guitar player. I play in bands. And so one of my favorite historical mysteries is about Robert Johnson. The, uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. The great Delta Blues guitar player and the story of him selling his soul to the devil. Right, right. Uh, and and so the, the whole myth of you know him going down to the crossroads has been pretty well debunked, and I did a whole episode on it. Yeah. But the weirder thing is that all of these guys, these, these researchers that went down to Mississippi to try and find Robert Johnson's family or to sort uh, of pick up on his trail, mm. have this way of always getting fooled by people right, that right. lie to him. It's like this woman that pretended to be Robert yeah. Johnson's mother. the guitar on the wall or whatever. Right. And like to the point where, you know, even the best Robert Johnson historians go like, we really, this guy's like chasing a ghost. Yeah. Like we yeah. don't even really know pictures that we think are Robert Johnson. Uh-huh. Are the pictures of the same guy who sings and plays guitar on the recording? Really, those two photos you know? aren't authenticated. Pardon me, sir. Those two photos aren't authenticated of him. There's, so there's, the, there's the two. There's the two pictures, right? There's the one where he's like wearing the suit and right. he's smiling, and he's got the guitar. And then there's the other picture that looks like it was taken in one of those like picture booths. Yeah, yeah. Where he's got a cigarette in his mouth, right? Mm. And yeah. those are like those are the two that most historians and most people that you know have studied Robert Johnson think are legitimately right, right. him. But there's still kind of a bit of a question mark right, right. them. There's like they're like they're like eighty percent sure, but they're not a hundred percent. And then there's always these new pictures that people think are Robert Johnson mm. that, you know, every few years there's like these new pictures that yeah. turn up and then almost always they are shown to be yeah. not really him. Yeah. So what's the whole mythology? Was it just that he just got so good that people were like, oh, there's no way he got this good without selling his soul to the devil? Like, right. is that the whole... Well, okay. He maybe he just practiced <laughs> a lot. I mean, maybe he was a... Maybe he just practiced. Well, and I think that's probably what actually happened. But the story was that, like, guys like uh, Son House, who's another sort of legendary blues man from the Mississippi Delta, he, like, knew... Robert Johnson, when he was like a like a teenager, and he was hanging around these like juke joints and these bars, and apparently he he was not very good. He was kind of, he kind of sucked at guitar. He would try and sit in positions, and they were like, "Ah, oh, this kid kind of sucks." Yeah. And then he goes away for a couple of years, and then returns, and all of a sudden he's great and like better than everybody else. And they're like, "What happened to you?" And so when Son House started telling that story, that kind of gave it gave a little bit of credence to the mm -hmm. tale, but it turns out the whole story of selling your soul to the devil was actually associated with a different blues man. Right, Tommy Johnson. Um, that's right, yeah, Portrayed Tommy Johnson. Portrayed in O Brother yeah, Where Art Thou. Johnson, which like, really complicates it, and then, you know, so, and then also because Robert Johnson died a mysterious death, he was probably murdered. Right. Uh, that then, like, you know, then the whole, that was the devil collecting his dues, so some other blues man story that's put on Robert Johnson uh, story, and boom, you got yourself a historical myth. Yeah, yeah. And neither one are associated with the Big Johnson t-shirt line of the mid-90s, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, probably not. 
All right. Uh, any thoughts on uh, Robert Johnson, Mike? You, uh, you familiar with? Oh uh, hell yeah! He's just such a like that picture of him. Yeah. With the suit. Oh yeah. What a he, legend. A lot of people really do kind of uh, think he he was almost proto heavy metal in a way, like with his lyrics and in, in, in his playing. You know, like he had like kind of like a cult type lyrics and uh, just like that really fast playing. Isn't there a thing that like so many songs by Led Zeppelin are just straight ripped off of Robert Johnson? I've heard that. I know yeah. Crossroads for sure. Really? But then other songs too, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that before, yeah. Sebastian? Yeah, no, well, the first, and, and, I, and I say this as a fan of Led Zeppelin, I'm a total Led Zeppelin fan, uh-huh. but the first the first Led Zeppelin album is almost all rip-offs of classic really? songs. Really? Wow. Uh, to the point where eventually they had to, when they, uh, over time, after years of lawsuits, they had to uh, start crediting these old blues men oh, as co-writers on the songs. Wow. Uh, specifically Willie Dixon, uh, who is a Chicago blues guy and kind of co-wrote a lot of these classic blues songs. Uh, Led Zeppelin eventually had to sort of start paying the estate of Willie Dixon uh, royalty money because uh, especially that first, that very first Led Zeppelin album was so sort of uh, heavily cribbed from uh, from classic blues. Interesting. But, you yeah. know, they put their own spin on it. They put their own spin on it. They, sure. they reimagined it. So, I mean, I... I personally have a, a lot of uh, leeway for artists sort of taking and borrowing and putting spins on things. Writing something original uh, is impossible but, anyway. Sure, it's imp- it's impossible to write an original riff anyway, you know. <laughs> you, you could argue. You could <laughs> argue. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, but also you do want to see those old blues guys sort of getting their due. And a lot of those guys sure. died their poor, so... Right. You know, it's it's kind of nice to know their families could get a little something from you know right. the legacy right. of their music. You, you know what I think is weird about that stuff? If you play me the blues song and play me the Led Zeppelin song, I won't hear the similarity. Really? Like, I, I mean, barely. But just like the same way you hear like two random songs on the radio, and you're like, oh, they kind of sound alike. But nobody's suing those. It's weird. I, I I maybe it's like a musical. Like you need to see the. The measures and the the G clef and all that and right. they have such weird like parameters by which they like when you go to court it's it's so it's so strange and subjective like BPMs and like melodic intervals and stuff it's like how do you right. truly show legally that two songs are similar like what right. what parameters do you use well how could you how, seriously though how could you possibly write a riff mathematically with twelve notes. That someone hasn't written at some point in history. I did it. You did it once. Yeah. You checked all five billion yeah. songs that have been written. It was bad, but it was it was original. <laughs> oh, you could write some pretty terrible riffs, but even yeah. then, it's like it's been done. It's right. been yeah, done. So I, I, one of my favorite things I ever heard about that was uh, Kurt Cobain liked to go around and tell everyone that uh, that smells like Teen Spirit was ripped off from Boston's right. Love and a Feeling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Na, 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 na. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. Uh, also, yeah. Because I like both of those songs a lot. I know, and it's like, come on, Mr. Durst. I like Nookie a lot better the first time it was written when it was called Flight of the Valkyries. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sebastian, do you have another favorite one you want to talk to, or should we jump back into a confession? Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's, so, there's so many that... Uh, uh, but no, give me another confession and maybe one will come to mind. All right. This one is from Albert Schroeder, Denton, Texas. Axeman of New Orleans interests me because I love jazz, honestly. It's the reason I got into playing music myself. 
in finding out that he promised to spare anyone playing jazz. Uh, he was never caught nor identified, makes him akin to Jack the Ripper. In that regard, also similar to Jack, there are many speculations on the true culprit. I kind of think the letter from the supposed axe man could have been a hoax. The nature of early criminology is interesting, seeing how things have evolved from then to now. DNA is a big factor in solving many cases today, such as the Golden State Killer. Right on. Um, so I don't really know the tale of the the axe man of New Orleans, uh, but so is, is the well, name that says it all. Would, he, would, <laughs> he would spare people if he found that they were musicians. It was yeah, part of his like kind of you know how they always have the correspondence with the police and the in the media um, mm-hmm. with the serial killing. Uh, he he said he was going to go on another killing spree, but would spare any house where jazz music was being played live. <laughs> That's true. Wow. Yep. That's and interesting. Yeah. So, like, the whole town of New Orleans was there. Everybody was basically having a jazz party that night. No one got killed. But right. it could have been well, a hoax. I mean, it, it sounds. It sounds like the kind of thing someone would do to just like, you know, start the, the greatest party ever. Right. Right. It's like, oh, there's been a spate of murders. I know what I'll do. I'll pretend to be the murderer. I'll write a letter to the cops. <laughs> And then, and then everyone's got to have a party. And he created like, oh, the funkiest so night in history. Funky, dude. Dude, he, he, <laughs> he made funk history that night. <laughs> oh, man. <He> couldn't, <laughs> if we don't party tonight, I'm killing everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the most I mean, dedicated frat boy ever. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. I mean, New Orleans is, I think, perhaps the greatest city in your fair country of the United States. I, I absolutely love New Orleans. He's never it's been like, to Cockeysville, guys. So yeah, we do. Come on. We got a Home Depot <laughs> and a Lowe's. Right. In yeah. like the same block. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just, I just what, what's amazing to me is just like, not only is was jazz going there, but, you know, you can make a case that, that rock and roll has its roots in, in New Orleans. And, and I also love the music that people out of New Orleans are making now. Uh-huh. Right? Like, I love that there's this, like, weird, amazing synthesis of, like, hip-hop and, like, traditional New Orleans horn music going on there. Like, that's, that's so cool. Yeah. I, 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 everything about that place is just very cool to me. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes all you need is an axe man to kick off a uh, genre. <laughs> there you go. So is there any is there any speculation out there about who the axe man could have been? Uh, I believe there. Are, uh, there's definitely theories. I'm not that familiar with with the axe man uh, folklore uh, canon there, though. But uh, I think some people say he might have been Jack the Ripper. There's always theories that Jack the Ripper crossed, uh, you know, the ocean and came over here and became. H. H. Holmes, or uh, you know, some right. other murderer. Um, but I don't know that many details on the old axe man, Robert Johnson, dude. Maybe he became Robert Johnson. Yeah, he found a better kind of axe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what right. I mean. <laughs> All right, Mike G. Yes. What is your favorite historical mystery? Hmm. Favorite historical. Oh well. I mean, does the Bermuda Triangle count like Amelia Earhart? We were talking about that earlier. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Sebastian. Amelia Earhart didn't have anything to do with the Bermuda Triangle, right? No, because she went down over the Pacific. So, and Bermuda Triangle is famously in the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> All right, so I was, we a, little, I was a little bit off. 
right. famously. Yeah. I'm just yeah. off by an ocean. Immortalized in the Beach Boys uh, Kokomo song, of course. <laughs> um, well, here's here's the thing. If I may mansplain again to you, Mike, young Mike, um, from what I understand, the Bermuda Triangle is also one of those things it's a square. that didn't exist. <laughs> believe it or not, it's actually a, uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, it's one of those weird shapes, a hexagon. Um, it actually didn't exist as a thing until like the late seventies when it showed so it's up. Another in some one book. of those, yeah, like, yeah, it wasn't like retroactive. Yep. Well, you know, I was I was listening. Somebody told me there's a theory that history changes as we move into the future. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, the History Channel's definitely changed. Uh, it used to make you feel smarter. <laughs> but no, I've heard there's, th- there's theories that the present does change the past. Like that's a, There's like science behind well, that. I don't know. I, I see well, what you're I saying. Mean, it's I, very I, metaphysical, I say, though. I would say that, uh, that it definitely changes our perception of the past, right? Absolutely. And that in some ways, some things become a lot clearer as we move forward, right? Like, I, I could, for instance... Um, one of, back in my early episodes, I did a whole thing on uh, the Trojan War. Yes, but not the there horse. was a real Trojan War. Right, right, right. And so, you know, for if you were an ancient Greek person, you believed that that was a real historical event, right. even though you know it was the stories of all the mythical heroes doing sort of supernatural things. You totally believed it was real. And in fact, most ancient people through like the Roman era totally believed that the Trojan War was a real historical event. Right. And then, you know, as time goes on in like the the early, like the Renaissance era, and then into, you know, like the 17, like 15, 15, 1700s, people start going, the Trojan War was probably just a story. Mm -hmm. They all think that it was completely fake. So they kind of believed the Trojan War to be entirely fake history. And then the dawn of modern archaeology and one of the most crazy early archaeologists was this dude Heinrich Schliemann, who was a total grifter and he's a he's a story to himself. But he does end up excavating a archaeological site that ends up being the real Troy. Oh and wow. So, <laughs> and so after that point in the late 1800s, all of it's like, no, Troy as a place anyway really did exist. And since then, there's been a ton more archaeology. We've learned a ton more about the site. Huh. And now most archaeologists think that while, you know, the events that are talked about by, you know, Homer in the ancient Greek legend, you know, probably didn't happen exactly like that, uh-huh. but there probably was a conflict between the city that is now in Turkey, which looks like it was Troy, and uh, the Greek city-states that would have existed around the same time. So there probably was something that was the Trojan War. Interesting. So, but, you know, the, but yeah, but like our, our current historical moment gives us a different perspective on the past. Yeah. So again, like I said, if you were an ancient person, you believed it. If you were a like Renaissance or Enlightenment era person, you didn't believe it. But if you are a person now and you look into it, there's reason to believe it again. That's wild. Yeah. So so does that mean Odysseus was maybe real person? <laughs> maybe. There, there may have been someone who was who Odysseus was based on, right? Because, like, you know, Odysseus kind of becomes a, 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 a character a character from literature 
but it might be like, you know, what would be a good example? Like, uh, <laughs> like there really was a Jim Lovell, the astronaut, but like we all kind of know the Tom Hanks version. Right, right, uh, yeah. Right. I mean, there, yeah, Odysseus was the king of Ithaca. Ithaca is a real place, huh. right? I mean, you got to yeah, imagine yeah. it's kind of like all glorifications, like George Washington and the cherry tree. Right, that right. actually happened. I don't know, but George Washington was real. Yeah, yeah. you know, and then you have all this folklore. But, well, that's around. but the question is, was Odysseus a historical figure or not? I mean, obviously, a lot of stuff was fabricated around him. But is right. he? And, and that's and that's you know, I, and I love those questions. Right, those mm-hmm. are the questions that kind of drive my whole podcast. And right. So when it comes to Odysseus. We don't, like, what you'd want to find to really kind of solidify a, a theory like that would be like, okay, let's go to modern Ithaca, where Ithaca was in the time. We do archaeology, if we can find a old tablet or an old sculpture or something that, that's like the king, Odysseus, you know, has landed on this site in whatever a MySpace year, then page. you go, oh, here's some evidence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe now, if, if they found his old MySpace page, Sebastian. <laughs> Can I ask you a question, Sebastian? Because I'm at, it's kind of on the same topic because we were uh, talking about historical figures. Um, uh, in the Bible, you had King David, which for a long time was sought, thought to be kind of, I think we talked about this last week or something like that, but or a couple weeks ago, that was thought to be yeah. a myth, and then they found historical evidence that King David did exist, and... Uh, Obviously not in the in the fashion, all the folklore that surrounded him. But uh, another question I've always had um, is with uh, Jesus. Now, whether or not you believe that Jesus actually walked on water, performed miracles or anything like that, or was the son of God and all the religious aspects beyond it, is there evidence in your mind uh, that shows that a man named Jesus, a man named Jesus actually existed it during that time? So that's that's the big boy, right? That's the that is like the that's the question. I'm, I've, I, people ask me all the time if I'm going to do an episode on whether or not there was a historical Jesus. Right. And uh, there's a part of me that's you know afraid to court the controversy. Sure, sure. Um, uh, because like you know, obviously, I mean, anytime you you talk, take on a topic where someone believes it as a matter of religious faith, mm-hmm. then it's like, you know, even if you find all these wonderfully logical arguments, uh, it, it doesn't really matter to mm-hmm. those that have sort of accepted it as a matter of faith. Right, right. Um, and so it goes to like, also like, was there a historical notice? Was there, you know, what's the truth of the historical figure Muhammad, right? Like it's the same, you can imagine how people would get like, you know, their backs up, get rankled. Right. Um, but, okay, so, but I, I will, I will say this, but that, you know, oh my God, my Twitter apps, depending on how many people listen to your show, um, <laughs> my Twitter apps could go crazy. Oh, you don't have to worry. Um, but here's what I'd say. Uh, it, it's, okay, so based on the research that I've done, there are a handful of historical sources that seem to attest to at least the execution of Jesus. Mm. But almost all of them are contested. There isn't one that is rock solid. Right. And the other tricky thing is that uh, the, uh, the one that was often held up is like, here is the non-Christian source for the life of Jesus uh, came from a 
a historian called Josephus, Josephus. and he was a Jewish historian who like lived, uh, wrote about the history of uh, Judea and like the Roman conquest of that area. And he would have lived around the time that Jesus was supposed to have lived. Mm. In one of his histories, there is this passage where he seems to talk about Jesus. And so a lot of people who were looking for a a historical Jesus were like, look, Josephus, this guy who was Jewish, who didn't have a horse in this race, he talks about Jesus. But since then, there's been all this scholarship that has pretty much proven that that passage in Josephus was added later mm. by Christian writers. Mm. Oh, my God. Wow. So, so now, does that mean that Jesus didn't exist? I'm not going to say that. Right. He was mentioned all I'm going to say is that all of the sources that seem to attest to the life of Jesus were written right. by Christian writers. Yeah. And so it's... Uh, and, and so there hasn't been a source beyond that that really seems to attest to it. There's guys yeah. like uh, Reza Aswan, who is like a, he's kind of a famous uh, uh, professor of religions. He does the rounds on like CNN and places like that. Mm. And he wrote a book about about the historical Jesus, and his whole thing was that the only thing you can say for sure is that there was a guy who was killed named Jesus who was crucified. Right. And then a lot of other, but then a lot of other uh uh, experts piled on him and said, like, you can't even say that for sure. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I guess those are my thoughts on that, that basically the life of a historical Jesus has only been attested to by, or, or verifiably attested to, by people that have a horse in the race mm-hmm. for there to have been a historical Jesus. Uh, so, yeah, and I'll do love to anyone out there that, you know, that, that, that uses that, that uh, you know, philosophy or religion right, right. to help them, you know, live a better right. life. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's basically, that's basically what, I've, what I've come across anyway. That's interesting. Interesting. You know what Source does mention it several times is the uh, Left Behind series. Mm. So I feel like that's enough evidence right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. We have uh, another confession. This one is from Brad Weller, Martinsburg. West Virginia. The Dancing Plague of 1518 began when a woman, uh, Frau Trelfe, began dancing without music. She danced until she collapsed, rested, and began dancing again. By the end of the week, 30 people had joined her. By the end of the month, 400 had joined her. 15 people a day were dying from exhaustion and heart attacks. Oh, my God. Town officials and religious <laughs> leaders blamed hot blood and did the opposite of footloose. And ordered more <laughs> dancing. They did an inverse footloose, figuring it would end once the people got it out of their systems. A countless amount of people died, and the dancing continued for a little over three months before stopping as suddenly as it began. Uh, there are several theories as the cause, ergot poisoning and religious curses among them. John Waller wrote a book, A Time to Dance, A Time to Die. Uh, and it, he... <laughs> Yeah, it's could have done better with the title. Uh, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, that's that's a little sensational. In it, he theorizes the plague was the result of years of extreme mental, emotional, and physical stress, including right. droughts and starvation, famine, and the oppressive nature of time. He backs up his theory with the other examples of erratic behavior with unknown causes. One of the examples is the London possessions. A group of nuns began acting wildly, barking like dogs, climbing like climbing trees like wild cats, 
and exhibiting lewd and vulgar behavior. The church held public exorcisms, and the nuns blamed a young priest for being a demon and possessing them so that they would submit to his sexual advances. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love this one. So, but just, you know, the dancing plague is something that I, comes up, has come up more than once on my podcast. Right. Uh, I'm yeah, the Pied Piper was one. Yeah, in the Pied Piper episode, you have one of the theories for why someone playing an instrument would have potentially led a bunch of right, right. kids out of the town is that perhaps they were all afflicted by the dancing plague. Mm-hmm. And there are actually sort of uh, images we know from the period, um, or actually at least a little bit later, but the 1500s as opposed to the uh, like 1200s when the, uh, the Pied Piper thing was supposed to happen, or maybe it was the 1100s, get my dating right. Anyway, but... Uh, that they would sometimes actually hire musicians to right. play for the dancing people and, and sometimes lead them out of town so they didn't cause a disruption. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 so yeah, the ergot poisoning, I don't know if you guys know what that is. It's from the bread, right? It's like, uh, almost yeah. an LSD kind of effect from, from, uh, mold on bread. So. That's right, exactly. Yeah, there's this particular type of mold that grows on rye, particularly. And, uh, yeah, and if ingested, it can have uh, psychedelic properties. Mm. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily explain why these things went on for as long as they did, right? Like, you know, your trip is usually going to sort of, you know, it's going to peter off after, you know, yeah. a few hours or even the most time right, right. a day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a weird one. I mean, that almost just seems like a kind of um, kind of a hysteria where, like, you know, Everyone just does it because everyone else is doing it, type of thing. Yeah. You know? but, yeah, uh, no, it, it is. There, it is sort of a. It seems like the theories about it sort of having to do with sort of extreme human psychology moments, mm-hmm. like mass hysteria, seems to kind of give us a better explanation. But also, what's interesting to me is that it only really seemed to happen at one point in history. Right. That, like the dancing plagues were an issue in like the medieval era in Europe and into sort of like the early modern period, like into the 1600s. Well, let's not forget the Macarena era of the late (laughs) 90s. I mean, that was contagious as all hell. (laughs) Right, yes. Yeah, truly a plague. Yeah, I think so. Um, all right, we got to wrap up in a minute. Um, But can can I propose a possible alternative history theory real quick um of course one of my my favorite historical mystery one of them uh db cooper got on a plane demanded a bunch of money disappeared into the night never to be seen again or heard from is it possible he didn't exist and it was a scam by the flight crew I, it's one of those things where I I'm writing a little thing about it right now, and it, I, I probably don't believe that that's the case. But it's I'm kind of surprised that the FBI never really looked into that theory, you know. And I don't know. It almost seems like it wouldn't be shocking if that's actually what happened. Yeah, yeah, it helps explain some of the weirder elements of that story, right? The fact that he became sort of a ghost. Right. It makes a lot more sense if he just never existed in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, I don't know, it's just bizarre that nobody, even if he did die in his jump, 
it's bizarre that nobody, you know, had like a, a weird uncle or, you know, the guy who didn't show up for work on Monday. Like, you know, posthumously, no one was able, able to figure out who he was. Yeah, and, right? Yeah. And the whole uh, thing either just... That or, either, either that or he was a time traveler, right? Yeah, that's another explanation for sure. Yeah, I, I yeah I do remember him. Uh, apparently, he was quoted as saying, "Hey, Doc, flux capacitor," on several occasions. So I think that might be might be evidence of that. All right, you guys, this has been an amazing episode. Huge, huge thank you to Sebastian Major. Please listen to his podcast, Our Fake History. It is one of the best podcasts going right now. Uh, thank you, Mike G, for stopping by. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Thank you, Jimmy. Cheers for producing. And uh, anything else you'd like to, to plug or talk about real quick before we wrap up, Sebastian? Uh, no, thanks so much, guys. Uh, I guess just if people are interested in finding out more about my podcast, they can find it on pretty much any podcast app, or they can go to ourfakehistory.com, and they can look at you know almost 100 episodes Whoa. worth of uh, historical myths explored. In awesome. Can you, can you give us a preview of what's to come, or is that classified? Yeah, I can actually. So I'm, I'm actually just now I'm, I'm working on an episode that's going to be coming out uh, on uh, on this coming Tuesday. It's it's uh, it's actually about one of America's weirdest secret societies, or not so secret societies. They're called Eclampus Vitus. You ever heard of them? Nah. Yeah, so they <laughs> they are mostly based in in the West, so California, Nevada, Colorado, uh, places like that, and uh, they they were this weird secret society that uh, <laughs> that got their start making fun of the Freemasons. Making fun of they started as a roast of the Freemasons. Exactly. Exactly. So they were all these miners that had like headed out west and like you know back in the forty niners heading for the, the gold rush, and they were living in these little mining towns. And there were the all the kind of upper crust citizens were the part of these sort of schmancy fraternal orders like the the Masons and the Oddfellows and the Elks, and uh, and these like core miners were like, this is stupid. We're going to create our own. A fraternal order. It's going to be all about getting drunk, uh, and we're going to like make it purposefully ridiculous. Wow! And so o- over the years, these guys have actually been partially behind some very real historical preservations wow. in the United States, but also they've been behind some really weird historical hoaxes. Weird. It sounds and like the original so, punk uh, rockers. I, I like, just, it's, like that. Okay. it's like the original punk rock. They were, yeah. They are the they are the, the punk rockers of uh, historical preservation. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to be talking about them. Wow, cool. Well, we'll look forward to that. Awesome. All right, thank you so much, Sebastian. This was an excellent episode, and uh, keep up the good work. Cheers. Thanks a lot, guys. It was fun talking to you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Bye. Bye.